0: Thank you, Laurie. You can let the screen down, Tom. A little boy, after church, came out. Everybody was greeting the pastor, and the little boy stopped. After shaking the pastor's hand, he said, "I want you to see my real fast shoes. They're brand new. They're just like yours." And the pastor says, well, they are nice shoes, and they do look like mine, but what do you mean they're real fast shoes? Johnny says, well, my daddy says that you're real fast. You're real fast to get out of church when it's over. You're real fast to get in line when it's at potluck. So if you're that fast, I wanted fast shoes like yours. (laughs) Well, we're going to look at the real fast, but it's not the fast shoes We're going to look at prayer and fasting. It is the avenue to be able to open the doors of our heart to the Holy Spirit. Keeping in mind that next Friday, we're going to start our time together um, in taking a look at the Holy Spirit for 10 days. To be able to look at what the Bible and the spirit of prophecy has to say. Uh, We will have PowerPoint that will be there. Uh, opportunity to be able to get together at the end to be able to pray. And there will be a time at the end of that week, we'll tell you more about that later, of actually prayer and fasting. We've learned a lot of things as we've been looking together about the condition of our church today. And really, our church needs help. I just got a phone call from or it wasn't a phone call it was an email from someone in their church and their church is splitting. They're having major problems within the church itself and uh, they just can't seem to resolve the church. So there is problems not only in that church but in others as well too. Our solution to our problems is really the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need to have that because there is something that unifies us together. But we have to learn how to open our hearts up to be able to receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it comes to us as individuals, and then it will come to us as a corporate church in the form of the latter rain. And until we personally receive the early rain, baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're not ready. In fact, Spirit of Prophecy says we will miss the latter rain when it's poured out. It'll be poured out around us, but we won't even know it. So we're going to learn how to open the doors of the heart to receive the power of the Spirit. If you've been in church more than 30 years, you will notice that the church of today rarely assembles together as a body. Have you ever noticed that? We come together and worship at 11 o'clock, but if the church has something else going on within the week or something, we may only have 10 to 20 people that will show up. We just don't seem to assemble together like we used to. Used to be the church met not only on the Sabbath at morning at worship, but Saturday at sundown. Sometime during the week we meet together, sometimes a prayer meeting. Friday night we open the Sabbath with a meeting together. We don't do that anymore. Mainly it's because we're so busy. Or I believe the devil doesn't want us to assemble. Because there's power when a group of Christians meet together. And he doesn't want that to take place. So we rarely meet together for the purpose especially of fasting and, and praying uh, as a church body. We need to experience that. So let's look at what the prophet Joel had to say in Joel 1 verse 14. He says, to consecrate. A fast called a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. So we, the instruction of God is for us to gather together. And we are to gather together into a time of prayer. We should fast together and pray together. But what for? Manuscript 8, Ellen White says, Could there be a convocation of all the churches of earth? The object of their united cry should be for the Holy Spirit. So this time of fasting and prayer, we should come together, and as individuals and as a church, we should be praying for the power of the Holy Spirit. Now you see why the devil is angry? He doesn't want you to have that power. Matthew 18, verse 20. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So we are, as when we meet together as an assembly, when we meet together as a group, as a church, whatever you want to call it, there is the presence of Jesus when we meet there in his name. Here is the, the, the power of heaven that is there with us. Notice this other promise that goes along with it. Matthew 18, verse 19. If two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. We're going to be meeting together to be able to not only to pray for the Holy Spirit, but we're also going to begin to learn What we need to be unified on as a church. We all have different opinions about many things. But remember when the disciples met in that upper room, they came together in one accord. There were certain things that they agreed upon, even though there were so many differences between the, the disciples themselves. We need to learn what those things are and to begin to agree upon them. And as a group, pray together. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have our secret prayers at home. We still need to have secret prayers at home, but we do meet together as a group. In the heavenly places, page 91 says, there's a great need of secret prayer, but there's also need that several Christians meet together and unite with earnestness their petitions to God. So we need both, the secret prayer at home and the time to be able to meet together as a group. My concern is, my concern is, is that we don't meet as a group, so we're going to make that opportunity. My other concern is, there's probably a lot of us that don't even take the time of secret prayer at home. And I challenge you to be able to take that time because it is a necessity. It gets very discouraging when you pray for something in your private prayer life and it doesn't seem to be answered right away. We tend to give up on our pursuit when that takes place. But when you unite with believing Christians, it can bring reassurance and encouragement so that you can patiently wait for God's answer. And when you're praying for the same outcome, it can be an exciting experience for the entire church when God gives that outcome and says yes to that outcome itself. That's what we're going to be looking at. So we need to have this fasting, which means to, Joel says, to sanctify a fast. Some people tell me, Pastor, fasting sounds, sounds dreadful. It, it, that sounds so gloomy. I mean, I don't see any good out of it. It's just not fun. Well, the prophet Joel says that we're to sanctify a fast. Maybe we need to understand certain terms. What does sanctify mean?s Well, I looked it up in Webster's Dictionary, and it says that sanctify means to make holy, to consecrate, to make free from sin, to purify. Wouldn't it be nice if we were to meet together as a group and individually we become purified of our sins? That we have the pure Holy Spirit to enter into our hearts and our minds to be able to guide us. That doesn't sound too gloomy to me. That sounds exciting. And that's what we need is a little more excitement within our lives itself. Now, we're not going to be rolling around on the floor or doing any of those things like that. We, we, we watch too much of some of our other brothers and sisters in the other denominations. But we're looking for the pure, pure Outpouring of the Holy Spirit within our lives. James 4, verses 8 through 10. James says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Now we're talking serious business here. This is just not a time just to meet together and sing a couple of songs and, and uh, have a couple of scriptures on the screen and we say praise the Lord and we go home. We're talking about fasting is not really meant to be fun. It can be exciting, but it's an avenue where we begin to focus our minds on the problems that we have within our own lives that we can't seem to change. It's a time to focus On our desires that we need to have accomplished, not only within our own lives, but in the life of the church itself. We're we're talking something very serious taking place. Review and Herald, October 13, 1891. There are sins among us today, and they bring the rebuke of God upon his church. That doesn't sound too good, does it? But it's true. Wherever such sins are found, seasons of fasting and prayer are indeed necessary. But they must be accompanied with sincere repentance and decided reformation. Without such contrition of soul, these seasons only increase the guilt of the wrongdoer. The Lord has specified the fast He has chosen, the one He will accept. It is that which bears fruit to His glory in repentance in devotion, and in true piety. So when we come together, and when we fast and we pray together, there has to be something that we're willing to be able to give up. There's something that we need to change. We need to be able to say, I am wrong. And I need the power of the Holy Spirit to make it right. I need to come to be able to confess, and to be able to say, Lord, I need your Spirit Revive in me this new spirit to go your direction, not my direction. He says that the Lord has a proper way to fast. We're going to learn about the proper way of fasting, not only from, from today, but next week as well, too. So we're going to come together. The two conditions we must meet is wanting to repent and reform, and the other condition is to fast in the way the Lord has specified. But let's look at what else we're supposed to do during a sanctified fast. Acts 1:14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication and with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. The disciples assembled as a body of believers in prayer and in supplication. Supplication means a humble prayer where it is impossible for any human being to answer that prayer. It only can be answered by God. So let's look at one aspect of our Christian life that it is, it is impossible to find from other people. Historical Sketches, page 294. We need to cry to God as did Jacob for a fuller baptism of the Holy Spirit. You cannot rely on me to be able to give you the fuller baptism of the Holy Spirit. I can't rely on you. That has to come to God. And it's a time that we need to cry out to him, as Jacob did, to be able to seek that baptism. Testimonies uh, to ministers, page 64 and 65. Why should we not prostrate ourselves at the throne of grace as representatives of the church... And from a broken heart and contrite spirit make earnest supplications that the Holy Spirit shall be poured out upon us from upon high. We need to fall down before the Lord to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I need beyond a shadow of a doubt that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Our church needs it now. If we're going to be able to go through the end of time, which we're in that process now, we need that power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know how long the disciples prayed before they received the Holy Spirit? It tells us in Testimonies to the Ministers, page 170. For 10 days the disciples prayed before the Pentecostal blessing came. It required all that time to bring them to an understanding of what it meant to offer effectual prayer, drawing nearer and nearer to God confessing their sins, humbling their hearts before God, and by faith beholding Jesus and becoming changed into His image. The reason for the ten days was not to get God ready. The reason for the ten days was to get the disciples ready to receive the Holy Spirit. They needed that time to see the necessity of it. They needed to have that time to see where they hadn't gotten at yet. They had to see where their sins were blocking them. They had to see the responsibility that was laid upon them when Jesus told them to go into the the then known world and to teach and to baptize and, and to bring these people to an understanding. They had to realize that the work was upon their shoulders. And when they realized that, they said, How are we going to do this? Look at me. I can't speak right. I can't think right. I can't do the right things. I need power. And so they called upon the Holy Spirit to be able to come. It took them that long, and it will take us that long for us to be able to meet together and to see and to really open our minds and our hearts. It's our privilege to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit by fasting and praying to get us ready for the presence of of Christ in our lives, but also to get us ready for the latter rain that comes we don't know when. That's when we're going to be able to go out and to be able to to do things in the community and we're going to see great miracles taking place. But before then, I've got to get myself ready. Now let's take out our magnifying glass and take a closer look at biblical fasting. There are two things that we'll see in the Bible that is often when they often use fasting and prayer. The first one has to do with a person that is grieving over a loss of some major event. The second one, which we're going to study more and to take a look at, is when we're after a deep spiritual pursuit of some sort. We're, We're seeing that we need a spiritual fulfillment. In the Bible, fasting is always connected with special times of prayer. You don't do the one without the other. When God's people humbly approach him or face special problems through prayer, fasting is always involved. Look at Daniel 9 verse 3. If you remember, Daniel had received a vision given to him about the 2300 day time prophecy. And then when he saw that, he passed out. And and the angel Gabriel couldn't come and give him the understanding that he needed to know. So Daniel then later on contemplating, thinking about it. It says Daniel 9.3, Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. He knew something was there. He knew it, it wasn't quite what he understood. It shook him up so bad that he passed out. And so now he's fasting and praying to have God explain the meaning of the prophecy. And God sent his angel Gabriel to come and gave him that meaning. There's many more examples that could be found in both the Old and the New Testament. But somebody might say, yeah, but other religions, they fast. Do you know why they fast? To try to to get God to pay attention to them look at me, look what I'm doing, now listen to me. They, they think that it's, it's a form of earning salvation and appeasing the wrath of God. Biblical fasting does not earn salvation. But it is God, a God-ordained discipline of the Christian life. So why should we fast? Why is it important? Well, first of all, We are commanded by God to fast. Joel one verse fourteen consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. The Bible says that we should be fasting and praying. By the way, the context of Joel, you know what the context of Joel is? It's looking for the people at the coming of Jesus. He's saying it's important for the people who are waiting for the second coming of Jesus to meet together and to consecrate a fast and to be praying for that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is, fasting unleashes God's power for the advancement of His work. When God's people come together to fast and pray, there is this power that is unexplainable. Do you remember a few years ago when we divided the church into groups and we met in various homes and we began to pray? It was called Operation Global Rain. And we began to pray for the latter rain experience. It was a wonderful time of fellowship and there were even a few miracles that took place during that time. But it didn't seem to produce the latter rain that we were expecting. And they were doing that all around the world. What went wrong? Well, since then, I, I received from someone in this church a syllabus outlining the steps on how to, be, how to receive the early rain first before you can expect the latter rain to ever come. And so in this syllabus, as I began to study, I, as I looked at it, I began to feel how powerful the material was about baptism of the Holy Spirit and the necessity to be able to share it with the entire congregation. It was in this syllabus that I learned about fasting and praying as a congregation in receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So there's great power that comes in the ability to be able to learn and to be able to share with others. The third thing is that fasting demonstrates our sincerity and our devotion. Do you remember the story of Jonah? Many times we focused on Jonah And the part of the story where he was swallowed by the big fish. And he was in that fish for three days and then the fish spit him up. That's usually the story we tell our kids. But we sometimes forget the rest of the story If Paul Harvey was here. God had instructed Jonah to go to the wicked city of Nineveh. And to preach that they are to repent of their sins. And if they don't they would be destroyed. That was his message. After the incident with the big fish and Jonah was spared his life, he reluctantly began to proclaim God's message. So we go to Jonah 3, verse 5 and verse 10. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth, and God saw their works and they turned from their evil way. Brothers and sisters, the story of Jonah is the story of God's church before Jesus comes. And the message of the church is, please go out and share with the world to repent of their sins and be spared. If you're not, you're going to die. So we're talking serious business here. And, and Nineveh got together as a group of people and they realized their sins They realized the necessity and they fasted together and they prayed and they asked for forgiveness and God forgave them of their evil ways. The fourth thing, in the hand of God, we're talking about fasting and prayer. This comes from councils on diet and foods. In the hand of God are a means of cleansing the heart and promoting a receptive frame of mind. There's something about fasting that clears our clogged mind. If you've ever gone to a Thanksgiving dinner or a potluck, and then about an hour after potluck, what do you want to do? You want to go home go to bed. Your mind is all clogged. Your, your, your blood supply is going down to try to digest the food. It's amazing that when you begin to clear your mind, that that cleansing also begins to, to promote a receptive frame of mind to help me to think better. To be in tune more with the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, communicates to us through the frontal lobes of our brains. If it's clogged, He can't communicate. The fifth thing found in Desire of Ages, page 431, is talking about the disciples. The disciples' faith must be strengthened by fervent prayer and fasting and humiliation of heart. We need strength, and that strength can come By fasting and praying. But you think, oh man, if I don't eat, if I don't go through that, I'm going to get weak. You don't get weak. If we are, as the Bible points out, saved by grace through faith, doesn't it make sense to use whatever means available that will strengthen our faith? Fasting and prayer is one of those avenues. The sixth thing about fasting and prayer. Fasting encourages character development and a deeper relationship with God. I need a deeper relationship with God, don't you? Before we can ever experience the latter reign of the Holy Spirit, we have to develop our character to be more like Christ's character. In order to be God's peculiar people in this world, it's important for us to have this deeper relationship with God. And it must be building on a day-to-day basis. We can't allow anything to hinder it. For example, King David King David many a times fasted and prayed. And God came to him in a special way. How about Moses? Moses fasted and prayed. He prayed twice for 40 days and 40 nights. Almost one right after the other. And God came to him in a mighty way. The apostles, when they met in the upper room, when they met there, they met together on one accord. Then they fasted and they prayed. And they had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. These are the three of many examples of people who have fasted and prayed in the Bible and become changed and were powerful in fulfilling God's will. That's why I want for you to be able to learn how to do it. The second thing, fasting entreats God for leading and guidance. Look at Ezra 8 verse 21. I proclaim a fast to seek of him a right way for us, and for our little ones, and for our substance. I don't know how to get from here to the heavenly kingdom by myself. But God knows the way. And it's not an easy way. So I need to learn. It's really important, especially living in the last days, to seek God's will and His guidance for us every day. Ellen White puts it this way in Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 364. The wisdom of any human agent is not sufficient for the the planning and devising of this time. Spread every plan before God with fasting, with the humbling of the soul, before the Lord Jesus, and commit thy ways unto the Lord. The remnant church, as talked about in the book of Revelation, must carry out God's plan that he devised for the last days. We're going to learn what that plan is because we have to be unified in that plan. But the only way we can fulfill that plan is by the power of God's Spirit. Do you see the necessity of praying and fasting for that power to carry out his plan? Number eight, fasting brings increased wisdom, understanding, and clarity of mind. Again, look at the the councils of diet of foods. Fasting and fervent prayer to God have... Have moved the Lord to unlock His treasures of truth. To their understanding, the Scriptures were opened with a sense of awe. Often we fasted that we might be better fitted to understand the truth. You want to know truth? God said, I'll lead you into all truth. Here's one way of being able to do it. Number nine, fasting reminds us that God is our true provider and our source of strength. God provides everything that we need. He says, I'll supply all your needs. Not all your wants, but all your needs. Often we're tempted to believe that our power, our strength, and our health comes from the food we eat and the education we receive. In some ways that's true, but in reality it is God who's the source of all of our power, all of our strength, and all of our health. And fasting helps us to remind us of that fact. Number ten, fasting invokes the presence of God and his angels. Let's look at a couple of Bible examples. Daniel 9. Verse three, twenty-one and 22. I, Daniel, set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting sackcloth and ashes. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand you want to understand the Bible we need to be fasting and prayer acts 10 verse 30 Cornelius said he was a Gentile he said four days ago I was fasting until the hour and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house and behold a man stood before me in bright clothing who was that man in bright clothing that was Jesus was when he was fasting and praying, the presence of Jesus came into him. Number 11, fasting unleashes extra power over Satan and temptation. Fasting and prayer is one of the most powerful weapons against the devil that we could have. Fasting is a proclamation to Satan that God has been given authority to unleash extra power from heaven to attack him. The disciples wanted to know why they couldn't cast out the demon that had possessed a man. And Jesus said in Mark 9:29, Jesus said unto them, the disciples, This kind, this demon, can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. Do you see the power that is there? Number 12. Fasting brings answers to prayer. Many times church members come to the pastor for a request to pray for something. And I'll ask them, well, why don't you pray? And they usually say, because God never answers my prayers. Maybe we need to fast and pray in our own lives instead of relying on the prayers of others. Ellen White speaking about fasting and prayer said this on Councils and Diet and Foods, page 188. We obtain answers to our prayers because we humble our souls before God. And she's referring to praying and fasting. Do you almost get the picture that the Lord wants us to pray and fast? So, what's the usual question? How do you fast? What's the proper way? Do we have to go 40 days without eating and drinking? What if i got diabetes? What am I going to do? What is the proper way? That's what we're going to cover next week. But in the meantime, we're going to open our hymnals. If you agree with me that fasting and prayer is a necessity, let's open our hymnals to hymn number 316. And let's seek the Lord to live out our life within us. Then next week we're going to take a look more at fasting, how to fast, how to pray and what it will do for us and what we're going to be doing at the end of our time together, the ten days. Hymn number 316. Thank you, Father, for teaching us the necessity of a tool that we seldom use, the necessity of being able to fast and to pray, not only as individuals but as a church body. We pray that your Spirit will go with us as we contemplate these words and as we learn next week so that we can place it into practice so it will be a powerful weapon against the devil himself